We are going verse by verse through this letter written by the younger brother of Jesus, this letter by the name of James, and, uh, and we are in week something of that. What are we? Week seven of that. And so, uh, man, I, I have never preached a series more than maybe six weeks once in a while. Usually the series was four weeks, and, and this is going to take a while, and we're just past halfway there now. And I have never been more excited. I've never been more excited to study. I've never been more excited to get up and, and to share God's word. And I am loving going verse by verse to this letter. And I hope that you are too. So uh, every, every week we take a look at this bookshelf and we kind of look at where we're going to be. And you'll see that uh, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of James. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. Now up here is a section called Poetry from the Old Testament. Some other people kind of call that something different. They call it Wisdom Literature. And that's also a very good name for it. We're going to look at a couple of really key passages from Proverbs. I'm also going to mention Ecclesiastes and talk about the theme of that verse. But you can kind of see where we're going to spend most of our time. There are a couple of other verses that are in your outlines. And, uh, and, and I really encourage you to use that as a study tool at home. So James is taking us through this series of self-examinations. And it gets a little uncomfortable at times, doesn't it? And I mean, he's kind of getting in our grill where we're looking at stuff and we're like, man, I'm falling short. You know, he says, uh, tame your tongue. I'm like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't do that so well. Well, one of the things that we have to remind ourselves week after week as we keep going through these self-evaluations is written in your outline. And that is this application that I think is the, the point of this whole letter, this whole series. God's expectation for me is progress, not perfection. God knows you well enough to not expect perfection from you. Okay but he does expect progress. He wants you to look a little bit more like the image of his son today than you did a year ago. And I pray that we're all making progress as we go through this. So James' intent isn't necessarily to beat you up and to show you how bad you are, but it is to encourage you along this journey of progress. I love that band, Big Tent Revival, and that song, Two Sets of Joneses. And and you know, it, it just makes me think about the choices that we make. And nobody ever sets out to intentionally destroy their marriage or to destroy their life or their career or their relationships. But we do make choices, and those choices lead to consequences that can do all of the above. And those choices come from one of two places. They come from wisdom that is either wisdom from above, it's wisdom that comes from God and from God's word and those principles, or it's wisdom that comes from the world. It's wisdom that comes from human knowledge and human understanding. And ultimately, I would suggest that it's wisdom that comes from Satan because he seeks to cause confusion and to deceive us into thinking that we're making wise choices when we're really not. And so the title of the sermon is True Wisdom and False Wisdom. And that's what we're going to call those two types of wisdom. Okay, so you understand the really big contrast of where these wisdoms come from. One of them is really not wisdom. I mean, we could call it something else, but we're calling it wisdom because Satan deceives so many people into thinking that that is wisdom. We make these choices, and these choices lead us to consequences that can either push us and, and, and encourage us along a life journey that honors God, and it's marked with, with joy that isn't determined by our circumstances, or it leads us to a life that is far from God and far from His will, and that life is, is marked with pain and regret and shame. Earthly wisdom is always changing, Whichever way the wind is blowing, earthly wisdom changes throughout generations and, and uh, throughout the years. You know, the, the earth is flat, okay? That was the wisdom of one day, and that wisdom has changed now. Any race other than yours is inferior. 
Um, we, we should heal illness by draining all the blood out of a person. These, this was all wisdom in its day. The heartbeats of the unborn should be ignored. That's wisdom of the day. Gender is fluid and should not be pushed on a child. We, we went to, uh, Phil and I went to a pastor's appreciation luncheon out in Orlando, and it was a big thing put on by the Christian radio station. And there was a guy there that shared information with us that in the public schools across the country, you know, there's this whole new thing that, and, and they're teaching young kids, you know, we're not going to call you a boy or a girl. What do you feel like today? Do you feel more like a boy or more like a girl? And you guys look like a monkey doing a math problem right now because it is confusing. It makes no sense. And they're encouraging kids, you know, you need to experiment to see, you know, what you are. Gender is fluid. It can be different. Um, this, is, this, is the, the, this is the wisdom of the day. Ethics and, and morality are forever changing in the name of tolerance and, and coexistence. And, and, you know, if those things mean that we should love each other and that we should try to get along with each other and be respectful to each other, then I'm all for it. But if it means that, you know, wisdom is fluid and wisdom changes and what's right for me is not necessarily right for you, then, then you know, I think the Bible says something very important about that. Because what we're talking about and what James is talking about when he starts contrasting true wisdom from false wisdom, we're talking about absolutes, Right? And the wisdom of today says that there's no such thing as absolutes. Worldly wisdom wants to say absolutes, absolute does not exist. And what's really funny is that in their own arguments, they use an absolute. Hey, is there any such thing as absolute truth? No, there's not. Are you sure? I am absolutely sure that there's no such thing as absolute truth. And, and, and so their own argument doesn't make any sense. Worldly wisdom changes Godly wisdom does not. Wisdom that changes throughout generations and throughout cultures is false wisdom. The only true wisdom is that which never changes, has always been true, and will always be true. The song that we watched on the video was kind of taken from the passage, the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, where he talks about the, the wise and the foolish builders. And I'm going to paraphrase this, so it's in, your, it's in your notes, but this is a paraphrase. Jesus was basically saying at the conclusion of the sermon, wisdom is building your life on God's word and obedience to God's word. Foolishness is building your life apart from God's word, which means that you're using human wisdom and earthly wisdom, the wisdom that changes. You're hearing, maybe you're hearing God's word and God's wisdom, but you're ignoring it. And Jesus made a real stark contrast between the wisdom and the foolishness. And it's foolish to think that God's commands for living are here to rob you of some kind of joy. All of the thou shouts and thou shalt nots that God is just trying to rob you from some kind of joy and who are you to tell me that I shouldn't do that or that I have to do that. Obedience to God brings joy in spite of our circumstances and it brings true joy that will last for eternity. Solomon is often called the wisest man that ever lived. And when he was granted one request, I want you to think about this. If, if God is talking to you and God says, hey, what do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. What are you going to ask for? Well, Solomon was, you know, he, 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 was, uh, he was becoming the king, and God granted him one request. Solomon didn't ask for a long life. Solomon didn't ask for the lives of his enemies to be delivered into his hands. Solomon didn't ask for great riches. He asked for wisdom in making decisions. 
And God granted him that. And if you had one request, what would it be? Don't answer that. Just think about it. What would it be? Back in week two of this series, right at the beginning of the letter of James, in James chapter 1 and verse 5, James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, does anybody lack wisdom or is it just me? Seriously. Okay? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. God's never going to make fun of you because you're unwise. He's going to say the wisdom is here. All you have to do is ask for it. It is here. All you have to do is look for it in his word. God will give to all without finding fault. It'll be given to you. If you lack wisdom, then go to God and ask God for that wisdom. While most of the wisdom literature that we pointed to in that poetry section of the Old Testament, most of it points to true wisdom. You know, Proverbs, just full of wise statements that you can apply to today and you can learn so much. But there's one that is in that section of Scripture that really shows the contrast. The book of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, it's filled with the frustration of seeking wisdom through human knowledge and through what the world is, is showing you, really through the counterfeits that Satan puts in front of you. That's all the false wisdom. But in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is searching for meaning. He's searching for purpose. He's searching for fulfillment. And he says, if you just kind of flip through the book here, he says, you know, I, I searched for purpose and meaning and I searched for it in knowledge. You know, I, I just kept trying to gain knowledge and that wasn't fulfilling. I searched for it in pleasure and that wasn't fulfilling. In laughter, just having a good time didn't work. In wine, kind of his drug of choice. You could say drug addiction, you know, and, and, and he, didn't, he didn't find fulfillment. I tried to find fulfillment by building an empire through acquiring power and acquiring wealth, all kinds of stuff, and it wasn't fulfilling. Through just being entertained all the time, whatever I want to do, wherever I want to go, whatever I want to see, it was there for me, and it was still unfulfilling. It was all full of eat, drink, and be merry, or sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and, and that's, that's the way that he was living his life, searching for fulfillment. And he says, nothing worked. It was all futile, and he actually says at the end of Ecclesiastes, it caused him to hate life because it was so futile. It was so meaningless. Earthly wisdom leads to death. Godly wisdom can't be found in anything of this world. James takes all of this information from the Old Testament, which he had available to him, and he builds on it. And he says, if this in the world is where you're looking for wisdom, it's not going to work. We find out that human wisdom, even at its very best, is bankrupt. And so we turn to God for true wisdom. 1 Corinthians one twenty five says, For the foolishness of God, that's an exaggeration to make a point, okay? For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength, okay? God at his worst is smarter than us at our best, you know, you've heard, you've heard about a professor. You know, he's forgotten more about the book of Hebrews than I'll ever know. You know, God at his very, very best, the foolishness of God is so much greater than the wisest of men. So that's the foundation on which we turn to this passage for today in James chapter 3. We're going through the second half of chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And this is all of the foundation that builds us up to this point. And what we read is, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by their deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. 
But if you harbor bitter envy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Now, this word wise in the Greek is actually an interesting word because it's kind of just this general word, kind of like in English. You know, it's wise. And sometimes we hear the definition that wisdom is applied knowledge. It's not just head knowledge, but it's when you begin to apply it. Well, the the Jews of that day had taken this, this word that James uses in this book, the word for wise, which was a very general word, and they kind of did the same thing with it that we did in English. And they begin to say, you know, it, it's more than just knowledge, but it's actually when you apply it to the skill of living. And so this word means that, you know, you're taking this knowledge and you're living a, a richer life and you're skillfully applying the knowledge that you have for life in the matter of practical living. The, the, the phrase for, uh, for bitter envy is really interesting too. The word bitter is the word that they would use for some water that you couldn't drink. Okay, it was like poison, stagnant, nasty water. And then they apply that to a person who is just that kind of person that nobody wants to be around. He goes on in verse 15, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Now, I love this phrase, selfish ambition. This is actually the word or the wording that they would have used in their day for a corrupt politician that would do anything to get elected, okay? Selfish ambition. I can't think of any examples in present day, but that's the, that's the kind of phrase. That's what that phrase meant. That's the way that phrase was used, and, and I think it's really interesting that James chose to use it here. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So this wisdom that he's talking about, the true wisdom, is the wisdom that comes from above. And you will reap this harvest of righteousness because of the things that you're sowing. You will, you will experience good works, not good works that save you, but good works that are a result of the saving relationship that you have with Christ. You will experience good works that are that result that benefit the people around you. So as we walk through these points today that are in your outline, I want you to keep in mind a couple of things about this contrast between these two wisdoms, true wisdom and false wisdom. The first thing is their source, okay? I want you to think about their source. True wisdom comes from above. It comes from heaven. It comes from God, and it never, ever changes. False wisdom comes from below. It comes from the earth. It comes from from the knowledge of fallen man, and I really believe that it comes from Satan. And that wisdom changes throughout generations. It changes from culture to culture. The second thing that I want you to keep in mind about these two wisdoms is their result. True wisdom leads to fruits such as mercy and peace and this harvest of righteousness that we'll talk more about in a minute. False wisdom leads to envy and selfish ambition and every evil practice. So there are different sources. There are different products or different results that come from them. And the world won't even notice these things, okay? The world won't even notice. But he's saying, Christians, beware. Christians, pay attention of these two very different kinds of wisdoms that you have to choose from. Number one in your notes, false wisdom deceives me into thinking that the world revolves around me. False wisdom 
deceives me into thinking that the world revolves around me. We have to be really careful, as I think, as parents, too. When I was interviewing for this position, I sent my resume in, and I had a phrase in my resume when I was introducing our family. I was saying, you know, hi, my name's Frank, and I like long walks on the beach and stuff like that. And then, you know, I introduced my wife, and I introduced our son, Nicholas, that's still in Delaware. And then I introduced my daughter, Celine, who's in children's care right now. And she's eight years old. And, uh, and I said, and Celine is, she was probably seven at the time. Celine is seven years old and she still thinks that she's a princess. So please don't tell her any different. You know, and I kind of said that. And one thing is I wanted to know if you guys had a sense of humor because it just wouldn't be a good fit if you didn't. But the other thing is, you know, we as parents, we, oh, we, you know, we love our kids so much and we really do treat them like, you know, like you're a prince, you're a princess. The world revolves around you. And I can be so guilty of that. And Janine will catch me. She's nodding her head. She will catch me doing that. And she'll say, hey, listen, man, you got to back off a little bit, okay? Because she's going to grow up with this sense of entitlement. She's going to grow up thinking that the world revolves around her. And the older that I get, the more that I see that that is so true. And we have to be careful. And false wisdom, wisdom that comes from the world will tell us that the world revolves around you. Life is all about me. I'm the center of the universe. God's job, if there is a God, is to make me happy. And to just be sure that I stay happy. I got to tell you that I would love to be the center of the universe. My heart wants to be the center of the universe. I want to be the center of the universe in my marriage. Okay? I want to walk in at the end of the day and have Janine just come up and rub my feet and just say, Oh, Frank, have you had a hard day? How's it going? Hey, got your favorite meal? Got steak ready for you? And um, Celine is playing. You know, she's over at Grace's house, so you don't have to worry about her. I didn't get rid of her completely because I know you like to play with her once in a while, but she's away. And so we've got the night, and I can just rub your feet all night. And we can, you know, is there a game you want to watch? You know, what do you want to do? This is all about you. I would love that kind of life because that's what my heart draws me to. I would love to be the center of the universe at work. I would love to come in here and everything's all about me and it's all about the way that I want things to be and and it's all about, you know, everybody just serves me. I would love that because my heart pulls in that direction. I would love to be able to drive down the road and everybody gets out of my way because it's my road and it's all about me, right? Okay, it's all about me. Get out of my way. Where I'm going is more important than where you're going and I'm more important than you. The world revolves around me, but it's just not true. And James says, if that's the kind of heart that you have, and I have to guard myself against that, that's a heart that is marked by bitterness and jealousy and selfish ambition. And how could it not be? Of course it is. Selfish ambition and bitterness because it's all about you and you'll end up boasting and lying. Everything's all about you. Says that if I have that kind of heart, I will grow in disorder and every evil practice. I'll end up rejecting God and rejecting His truth, and I'll embrace the exact opposite, which is false, false wisdom. So here's how you spot false wisdom in your own life. This is kind of like this is kind of like the X-ray, okay? This is kind of like the MRI, and then you go in, you meet with the doctor, and he says, "Okay, we did these tests, and here's what we've learned." And sometimes it's not news that you want to hear. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to hear. But James says, here's how you can tell if this is the kind of heart that you have. Here's how you can tell if you've been embracing false wisdom. It might be uncomfortable to hear, but it's really important for you to hear so that you can make some corrections in your life, right? And the first thing is that, that false wisdom is earthly. False wisdom is earthly. That means that it's not interested in eternity. False wisdom has no interest in eternity. 
Its source is human intellect and human feeling and human desires. It's not interested in eternity. It's only interested in the here and now and the instant gratification that can come from that. False wisdom is also unspiritual. That means that our decisions are based on our own desires. Our decisions aren't based on what's, what's best for someone else or, or what honors God, but it's our own selfish desires. It heeds nothing of the Holy Spirit's power. It does not submit to God's will for our lives, but it makes its own decisions for its own desires. And thirdly, false wisdom is demonic. It's demonic, and that means that it lies about the nature and the character of God. False wisdom will twist who God is and try to convince you of something else. It's based on lies of our flesh, lies about the nature and character of God, about our own importance and how we think we should live. It, it lies to us and tells us that we're the center of the universe, and we're blinded by these lies, and we actually begin to believe sometimes that what we want is better than what God wants for us, that our ways are better than His ways. And we began to believe those lies. I know that you're the creator of the universe. I know that you spoke the world into existence. But I think I know more about this situation than you do. So God, you should do it my way. We probably don't say those words, but sometimes our actions say those kinds of things and that that's what we believe. And it doesn't get any more demonic than to believe that the creator of the universe can't handle a situation in your life. Rick Warren wrote this book called The Purpose Driven Life. Some of you have read that book. Okay, and um, bestseller, New York Times bestseller list for many, 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 I don't know, for a long time. So this book has been around. The first words of this book, the first words on the first page of the first chapter of this book are this. It's not about you. Pretty cool way to start a book, right? It's not about you. And he goes on in this book to explain that your quest for personal fulfillment can only be found in understanding and in doing what God has put you on this earth to do. If you think about the most popular psalm, even if you don't have a church background, you have heard this probably at a funeral. You have heard the 23rd Psalm read before, right? Everybody has heard the 23rd Psalm. And it's pretty awesome when you go through it because it, it starts talking about how much God loves me and God shepherds me and God, God gives me this really nice, beautiful, grassy place to sit down and rest and he stills the waters so everything is comfortable and he restores my soul and he leads me into paths of righteousness. And we can read about how great God is to us and it kind of makes us feel like maybe we're the center of the universe. You know, this is pretty cool because look at, look at all the stuff that God is doing for me. I must be really awesome, right? God thinks I'm awesome and I think God's right. And so it's really cool that God is doing all of this stuff to make me happy. That is why he exists, to make me happy because I'm the center of the universe. And then we read, as the passage continues in Psalm 23 and verse 3, it says, He guides me along the, path, the right paths. Why? For his name's sake. Why does God bless me with so many good things? It's for his name's sake. It's not to make me great. Anything that God does for me, any blessing that he is in my life, is so that I can point others to him. It's amazing. Even the goodness that I experience, the blessings from God, are ultimately more about him than they are about me. It's more about who he is than it is how great I am. Listen to Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17, Paul said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Then he says, why? So that you may know him better. I pray that you'll have wisdom so that you can come to know God better. The more that you come to know God, the more that you realize I'm not the center of the universe, but God is. And his commands, his commands for us to worship him and to adore him and to be obedient to his word, all of those things cause us to take our eyes off of ourselves and to put our, our eyes and our hearts and our affections on him. C.S. Lewis is this British author that wrote many books, but you probably heard of the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and that series. Well, he's the guy that wrote those things, and, um, and he was an agnostic for years, but he, he worked in literature. He was a professor, and he worked in literature, and so he had actually read the Bible, but he said that when he read the Old Testament and all of the, all of the Psalms where God is saying to worship me and to praise me and to dance before me and to take delight in me, he said that God sounded like a little old lady begging for compliments. That's what C.S. Lewis said about God. This is while he was an agnostic. He said, you know, God sounds like a little old lady just begging for compliment. Praise me. Love me. Do you like my dress? You know, that, that that's what God sounded like to him. Then he experienced salvation. And he called himself the most reluctant convert in London. It was almost like, I don't want to become a Christian, but he got me, you know. And, and so he becomes, he experiences salvation. And he says that his eyes were opened to true wisdom. And then here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. God's commands for us to love him and adore him and to worship him is to complete us. That is not wisdom that comes from this world. God deserves and he demands our praise because he is worthy, because he is right, because it, it completes our enjoyment of him and because it gets our eyes off of ourselves, which is the greatest thing in the world that can happen to you. To take your eyes off of yourself, to realize that you are not the center of the universe and that really takes the pressure off, doesn't it? It takes the pressure off. Because the more my life is about me, the more miserable I'm going to be because I'm going to have expectations that nobody is going to meet. The more I understand that life is not about me, the the freer I am to love others and to serve others and to to enter into their lives. Proverbs 8, 32 through 36 says this, Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instructions and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me, find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me, harm themselves. And all who hate me love death. God's wisdom is to navigate us through this this life and through this world that he created. Earthly wisdom leads to pain and to death. And I get to choose which I will participate with. Number two in your notes, true wisdom reveals that everything God does is ultimately for his glory and our good. We're not the center of the universe. So everything that God does is not to build us up because we're so awesome. True wisdom reveals that everything that God does is ultimately for his glory and it's for our good. 
true wisdom, as James tells us, is marked by, by being pure, peace-loving, impartial, and sincere. Here he's talking about our heart motivation. He's talking about having spiritual integrity and, and moral sincerity. He's talking about love that, that promotes peace in the lives of others. He also says that, that true wisdom is considerate and submissive. And this describes someone that is teachable and someone who willingly yields to discipline and to moral standards. And, and this would be a phrase that you would describe somebody that's in the military, that they willingly enter into the military and they willingly abide by the rules and the, and the orders that are given to them. And that's how he describes our attitude towards God's laws and God's rules and true wisdom. He also says that true wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. Friends, the day that you became a Christian is the day that you place your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on his cross and his resurrection. And as much as God loves you, he loves you way too much to just allow you to remain the way that you are. And so he begins working in you to transform you more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And this transformation is one that takes place from the inside not out, not from the outside in. And this fruit that we experience in our lives is fruit that points others to God. Ultimately, the good things that we experience are so that we can point others to God. I want you to imagine that, I don't know, let's just imagine that there's somebody in the room that's thinking about getting married, okay? So just use your imagination. Maybe there is, maybe there's not. But let's just imagine that there is. And so this person that's thinking about getting married, they want to learn a little bit more about marriage. And so they find this older couple that's been married for a really long time. And, and they pull the husband aside and they say, hey, tell me, tell me about marriage. Tell me, tell me how you, you know, wow, you guys have been married so long. Tell me about it. And he says, well, a long time ago, I made some promises. And I don't believe in divorce. And so what I do is every night when I lay my head on my pillow, I close my eyes and I pray to God that he will take my life. <laughs> I don't believe in divorce. And so the only way out of this is death. And so I pray that God will just end it now, Lord, end it now. Okay, so just imagine, does that make you want to say, wow, man, that's what I've always dreamed of. That's what I, that's what I hope for my marriage, does it? Or let's say you pull the woman aside, you pull the wife aside, and you say, tell me, is marriage everything that I've always hoped for? And she said, yeah, if you've always hoped to live with a messy orangutan, you know, all of your life, can't pick up after himself and leaves food all over the floor. And, you know, I mean, oh, yes, that's what I've dreamed of since I was a little girl. That's what I've always wanted. It, that, that does not sound attractive to us, correct? We should have the kind of marriage that... that our kids grow up, even though they go, ooh, gross, cut it out, you know, stop that, and you embarrass them. Even though they do that, it causes them to long for that kind of relationship. And we should have the kind of marriage that our kids and others that are watching that they will hope for someday. And the same is true with our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus Christ, our relationship with the church family. We should, we should have the kind of relationship that causes others to say, wow, I want that in my life. Tell me more about it. And so the blessings that we have and the good things that we experience ultimately can point others to Jesus Christ. So how do we grow in true wisdom, okay? We've, we've contrasted them. We've talked about their sources. We've talked about their fruits and their results. How can we make sure that we're growing in wisdom? This is your next step. 
in your outline. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to, I'd like to read a passage of Scripture and then give you the next step after that. So I think that's the way it's in your outline, and I think that's the way it is on the screen. So I'm going to read a passage, and then I'm going to talk about the challenges that I have for you in your next step this week. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so my challenge for you in your next step this week, the first part of this, is that I will grow in my understanding of the God of the Bible. I will grow in my understanding of the God of the Bible. Now, that is not the God... That, that you understand. That's not the God that you dream up in your head because sometimes, you, have you ever heard someone say, oh, I just don't think that God would do that. Well, what are you basing that on? I'm basing that on how I feel and what I hear other people say. And, and Well, no, base, base your knowledge of God on what God has revealed to us. And I, I pray that you will, you will grow in true wisdom by growing in your understanding of the God of the Bible. What does he reveal about himself and his priorities and the way that he wants you to live in his word? That's where true wisdom comes from. Secondly, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. And so I want to challenge you to do this. I will walk with other Christians who are serious about the things of God. I'm going to grow in my understanding of the God of the Bible, and I'm going to walk this journey with other Christians who are serious about the things of God. You know, we've only got so many hours in the day. We've got people that, that take up so much of that time, and I just pray that you will, you will enter into some kind of community, some kind of Bible study, some kind, something that's, that's even more than what we can accomplish here on Sunday mornings, that you will walk the journey of life with other people that are serious about the things of God, that can help sharpen you, that can help encourage you that can help even to rebuke you when you need that that's the kind of friend that we need in our lives and it's people that's on this journey together hebrews 13 17 says this have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account do this so that their work will not so that their work will be a joy not a burden for that would be of no benefit to you. You know, there's a phrase here that I think most people hear and they just kind of lock onto that and they think, oh, you know, this is, all about, this is all about submitting to their authority and I kind of just naturally want to rebel against that because, you know, I'm not always good at submitting and it's a little bit uncomfortable. And the Bible here is clearly saying we are to submit to our leaders, the people that God is, has placed in, in this church family to shepherd us. We are to submit to their authority. But, you know, that's not the phrase that I latch onto here. That's not the phrase. I guarantee you that's not the phrase that takes the leaders in this church and keeps them awake at night. It's what comes after that as ones who will give an account. The leaders that God has raised up in this church will one day stand before him and give an account for the decisions that they make and how they shepherd this church. And we are to submit to their authority because they are the ones that are accountable. They are the ones that are responsible. They are the ones that are carrying that weight. And when we love them and we submit to their authority, even though they're not perfect, I should be saying we're not perfect. Even though we are not perfect and we will make mistakes and there will be some decisions that are made that not everybody agrees with, for the love of Jesus Christ, we are to submit to that authority. That is the way that God has designed leadership in the church. And he will hold 
those shepherds accountable. God ordained and he placed leaders in this church to shepherd us. And they love God and they're devoted to growing in that knowledge of God. And so the third challenge, the third part of your next step is this. I will submit to those who are farther along the path of progress. Remember, we keep saying this. This isn't about perfection, but it's about progress. It's about this journey. It's about growing more and more like Jesus Christ as time goes on. And I just pray that you will submit to people that God has put into leadership because they are a little farther along that path of progress than you are. And friends, sometimes I have the awkward and uncomfortable job of telling you that, you know, sometimes you're not quite as awesome as you think you are. But, but, and I love you, okay? I mean, you're pretty awesome, but you're not always as awesome as you think you are. And knowing that you wouldn't always be so awesome, God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, my paraphrase is, while you weren't awesome, okay? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as followers of Jesus Christ, salvation has a grip on our minds and on our hearts and it affects everything about us. All of our thoughts and our behaviors and our decisions. Does that mean that we'll be perfect? Does that mean that we'll make some progress along the way? I sure hope so. And you know, the world sees this transformation that we're talking about as foolishness. Well, don't look to the world for approval, okay? 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The world sees us and this wisdom that comes from above as foolishness. And they should, because their source of wisdom is very different than our source. They hear us talk about a six, six days of creation. That's foolishness. A worldwide flood. What are, you, what are you crazy? A virgin birth. Jesus living a perfect, sinless life. Jesus being sacrificed for our sins. Bodily resurrecting from the, from the grave. Jesus being the only way to heaven. You actually thinking that you can change that God will give you the power to change and transform your life? This is foolishness. But just like Solomon, we need to, you know, we, we often pursue everything that we can imagine. And then late in life, we realize how very little it means. We realize that we've been chasing earthly wisdom, false wisdom. True wisdom is to love God and to turn away from sin and to be obedient to his word. So here's the test, okay? We're done. Here's the test. Which wisdom do you embrace? We've defined it. We've talked about its sources. We've looked at all these things. Which wisdom do you embrace? And which wisdom characterizes you? Your memory verse this week is James 3.13. Show your good life by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the love that you show in our lives. And we thank you for the grace and the mercy that we receive. We thank you for the wisdom that you give. And Lord, the wisdom that you give isn't a bunch of, a bunch of rules and a bunch of regulations because you want to suck the joy out of our lives. But the wisdom that you give us is so that we may experience a joy-filled life that, that transcends our circumstances, that, that transcends eternity. We take our eyes off of ourselves. We place our eyes on you 
which ultimately causes us to place our eyes on others and their needs. And Lord, we've, that's, that's what we pray for the heart of this church. And if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that they would embrace this wisdom and this truth, that even though they, they have made so many mistakes as we all have, even though their lives have been full of sin, as all of ours has, that we can embrace the, the truth of the cross and the sacrifice that happened there and never, ever have to carry that guilt and shame again. And that is the truth that comes from your son and what he has done for us. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.